Hi. Hi. Oh, I got a, <laughs> got, a little, got a little alert that I'm being recorded. Good. I'm glad they're okay. doing that. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are, How you, are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It was fun, uh, fun meeting you in Chicago and a really good uh, screening. And hopefully you, I didn't make it to your screening in the morning, but I, I hear that you guys had a great screening too. So that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And we just turned it into a feature. So you'll see the feature. You, admit, cool. you didn't see the short, but you'll see the feature. So let's talk about sand and snow. First of all, I want to say thank you for doing this. I know that you're on a different time zone and different schedule and whatnot. So thank you for taking the time to do this with a, with me and with us. Um, thank you for your asking. film. Of course, your film sand and snow. Yes. Just one best feature, best fiction feature at the Chicago South Asian Film Festival. I walked into, I would say, the very end of the film, um, and I was mind blown, like just from the end of it, right? And I feel like even though I had missed um, a big chunk of the story, I was still so immersed in it and so cap, like I was so captivated by what was going on the screen, not only visually, but your actors, um, one actor in particular, um, so I just, I want to dive into that and I want to kind of talk about you and your journey as a filmmaker and um, let's start with that. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I grew up, I bounced around a little bit. I know when we were talking, you said New York has your heart and I told you that it has mine too, because uh, so I was born in Southern California and then my family immediately moved to New York and I grew up there for the first five years of my life, then came back to Southern California and did most of my growing up here but then went back for NYU film school and college for undergrad and then came back to LA after that. So a lot of ping-ponging back and forth. Um, but I didn't come to filmmaking until pretty late. I didn't really realize it was what I wanted to do until my senior year in high school. Um, so I, I had played around and shot fun films with friends and things like that as a kid, but I never thought of it as an actual path for my life or a career or anything like that until pretty late. Um, but uh, so I ended up uh, after high school, I went to UCLA for two years and um, started a film club there and made short films and met a lot of great people and then decided to apply to film school in earnest and uh, got into NYU's Tisch uh, School of the Arts and went out there for the last two years of my undergrad. And um, it was great. It was a really, really good time in my life. I loved living in New York. Feels mm -hmm. kind of like a cheat to get to live in <laughs> the middle of Manhattan for school because you got to be in this amazing location with subsidized student housing which is a pretty good deal yeah um, and then uh yeah and then after that it was a long journey to make sand and snow uh, i basically had the idea for it my senior my last year at nyu so 2006 so mm -hmm. this has basically been a 15-year journey i like to say conception to completion conception shout out to you <laughs> to your short future thank you um, <laughs> and um yeah it was uh I knew I wanted to do it as a feature. Features are where my heart is and it's the art form that I most want to explore and express myself in. But uh, doing your first feature is really hard. Uh, it's yeah. very, it's that, it's that chicken and egg situation. It's a lot of money, it's a lot of risk and people don't want to take that chance on somebody who's never made a feature before. But if nobody gives you the chance, how can you make features so that people give you the shot? Mm -hmm. um, so it became pretty clear that the only way I was going to be able to do it the way I wanted to do it um, was to self-finance. So I ended up uh, 
going into the arts industry, um, basically a movie marketing. So I, for 10 years, I designed movie posters and did visual effects and animation and worked in that. So I got to be creative, but that was all to save up money. And then I basically just took all my life savings after a decade and put it into making the film, uh, which we shot four years ago. And then I just finished it a couple months ago and it had its world premiere in Chicago. So hopefully that's a, a good starting point. Wow. Uh, yes. So first of all, your first feature to, to invest 15 years of not only time, energy, and money, but like to, to have this story that you're cultivating and it, it takes you 15 years to kind of put it together and self-invest it and self-create it. What, where does this story of sand and snow come from? Tell us about the inspiration for that. Sure. Uh, that's a long story, so I'll try to give you the brief <laughs> version. Um, but based, so that initial kernel of an idea I had in 2006 was just this idea of like, wouldn't it be cool if we opened a film and we saw somebody um, executed and then we jump back in time and realize that there are identical twin brothers and we don't know for the duration of the movie, which is the one that dies in the end. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, that really dug into my brain and I thought it was a cool idea. And so uh, it started out as that. And over that decade that I told you about, uh, I wrote this, you know, worked away on and took a long time to write the script because your first feature script is, is usually the hardest. And when I finished it, I shared it with people I trusted. And they basically told me that like, this is an interesting, cool script, but everybody can see the ending coming from a mile away. And I realized that even though I had used that initial idea as a, as a starting point, it actually was working against the film to structure it that way. And so I had to make a really, um, from, it sounds silly, but, uh, and it's something that we could have easily gone back to and post if we wanted, but I had to make, I had to dedicate myself to changing the script and not opening with the end of the film, mm -hmm. because I realized that what I'd actually, uh, hopefully it doesn't give too much away, what I'd actually written was this morality play using identical twin brothers and exploring the idea of identity and, and very specifically the idea of home, the the thesis that I realized I wanted to express with the film is that home is not a place. Home is a time when you can live with yourself. And that's really the journey of the characters at the heart of the film. And once I came to terms with that, I had to do something that was hard for me, which was to let go of that structure I had fallen in love with and honor what I had written and um, mm -hmm. just let, let the story play out linearly so that everything came as a twist and a turn and a surprise and people didn't see the end coming. Um, so that was, that was kind of the genesis of, of the project and how it ended up becoming what it was. Um, yeah. yeah, you, so for the characters, Zane and Aiden, um, it's one actor playing yeah. these two characters. Now tell me about your casting process. Yeah, um, yeah, the Omar Mascotti, he just, he really, he really kills it in this film. I'm so proud of his performance and I'm so happy that people get to see it now and see what great work he did. Um, the way we got connected was, uh, seems very strange and serendipitous to me. I, I um, when was it? I forget the year, but it, I think it was season two of Better Call Saul. I was watching that show because I'm a big fan of, of that show and that universe. And um, all of a sudden this guy, this, in, in a small role, but this, this uh, character pops up on screen. And as soon as I saw him on my TV, I just had this very odd feeling of like, that's him, that's, that's my guy. I didn't know him. I didn't know anything about him. Uh, I looked him up and this was a couple of years before we went into pre-production on the film. So it, mm -hmm. it was just a weird circumstance, but I 
I filed that face and that name away. And then when it came time to cast, um, first of all, I got really lucky. Um, Rizwan Manji, who's an executive producer on the film and has been a good friend to me. Um, he met with me uh, when I finished the script and we were talking about it and he connected me with Emily Schweber, who's a really fantastic casting director and the whole reason why the film came together the way it did. Um, and so I started working with her, still not knowing Omar. She didn't know Omar either. And we talked and we tried to put together ideas for, for cast and um, I kept bringing him up and saying, you know, I really, I really want to reach out to him. I really want to see if this is something he would do. And so we asked him to tape and he did a, he did the hospital, uh, the hospital room scene um, early on in the film. So he recorded mm -hmm. both pieces of both brothers and sent that in and it was great. And I was so, and again, I had no, I didn't know him. I didn't really know his acting ability. He didn't necessarily do anything in Better Call Saul that made me feel like he could do either Aiden or Zane. Um, but his tape was great. We ended up uh, casting a lot from tape, which I, I guess is not common um, in the industry. But, yeah. uh, but I had very strong instincts about what I was looking for with the actors. Mm. And, um, and with him, it was just so clear to me that he, he was the guy. Um, yeah. And thankfully he agreed. And, um, and that started a really, a really wonderful and um, surprising and satisfying collaboration between the two of us. Yeah, I mean, uh... I just remember being so blown away by his performance and how detailed everything was and how every, like the embodiment of both these characters individually was so specific. And so the two dynamics of these two characters, Zane and Aiden, tell us about how you kind of came up with the, the dynamic of the two characters. Cause they're not, they're brothers and they're identical, but they're a lot different than they look. They are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, that, and that's, um, so the movie actually, uh, again, things I had to let go of that I had fallen in love with, the movie actually had a different name originally. It was originally called In Heaven's Hands, which hmm. um, I really liked for its like poetic quality, um, but it became clear the more I told people about the movie, the more the word heaven was, is a very charged word. And so people hmm. assumed it was a very religious film or a Christian film or something that just didn't accurately set up what the film was and i and i you, you never want to lead with the wrong foot in this industry yeah. you know as as you know you you get such few first impressions and when you do you want to make sure that they're the best they can be mm -hmm. um so we were talking about how to change the title and what we could change it to and my editor um mariana flores who did an incredible job on the film um so she's a she's been fr a friend of mine for a long time but we never got to work together until this so i'm, I'm really glad that i was able to con her into it um, <laughs> <laughs> but she um, she was like, you know, you keep describing Aiden and Zane as sand and snow. And and she was right. That that was important to me. And I'm sure, you know, you can offer a lot of insight on this, too. You don't want to you don't want to judge your characters, whether you're playing them or you're writing them or you're directing them. And so while it was really tempting to have to say Zane is the is the bad twin and Aiden is the good twin. I, I never saw them that way. I saw. Honestly, I really saw them as two parts of all of us, which is um, mm. sim sympathy and empathy. And sympathy being Zane, he's somebody who's cold and hard and selfish and clinging to memory, the parts of ourselves that really want to just be loyal to the things that are most like us and the things we most care about. And Aiden to me was like sand. He was warm and fluid and malleable and you know something that's used to build a future rather than hold on to the past. Uh, and that and that to me is empathy that's about seeing yourself in other people's places shaping yourself into 
into into what other people might need you to be or want you to be. Um, so that and then sand and snow also representing like snow representing New York, which is a big part of the movie and sand representing Pakistan, which is a big part of the movie and the movie being in black and white. So sand and snow suddenly felt like it was a better title for the film and touched on a lot of the themes that we're going for. Mm -hmm. um, I so if I've answered your question, but yes. <laughs> so why why black and white? Uh, so that was really important to me for three reasons. Um, first and mostly um, narratively, uh, I just mm -hmm. thought um, because we're dealing with these two twin brothers who are very diametrically opposed in a lot of ways, and because we're exploring this tension between sympathy and empathy, and these two sides of uh, ourselves, uh, that's part of the human experience. Um, Black and white felt like it would be a great way to visually evoke that theme and really express it and, and bring the audience into that. Uh, and then the fact that the story takes place in Karachi, which uh, in Pakistan, which has a very uh, black and white justice system. Again, I thought that the black and white would reinforce that and help bring the audience into that world and feel the, the tension there. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it primarily came from uh, the narrative, uh, as I feel like all decisions should. And then secondarily, I just think black and white is a really beautiful aesthetic. And uh, I think because of Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and a lot of things now, I think people, younger people are discovering black and white just as a beautiful aesthetic and not as a relic of the past. Mm -hmm. um, so I was took a gamble and hope that people would be able to see the beauty in that and, and not necessarily see it as an old movie or a, um, a turnoff. Um, yeah. And then it gave us some uh, some production benefits to shooting in black and white technical stuff that, I, that yeah. you know about you know you, yeah. you don't you, you don't have to gel windows and lights and match you can shoot in mixed lighting you can shoot faster you can shoot in lower light uh and we had mm -hmm. a very tight schedule for production so um it, it helped us in that way too so those are those are like the three reasons yeah i mean so i will say i didn't even realize like it didn't come to me that it was an i was watching a film in black and white until the very end of it okay. um so I was, I was fully, I mean, it was definitely, it went, it fit the story. It fit the narrative. It fit the film, the way you shot everything. I feel like it was very, very beautiful. So, um, and it's hard for me to get through a black and white movie. So that, that says, yeah, most lot. people have that, right. Cause there's, you have that baked in thing. Well, like, oh, it must be an older movie. It must be slower. Mm -hmm. It must be old fashioned. And I, I should mention, this is a modern film set in modern times. Uh, so it's not yeah. a period piece. Uh, and I should, I should give a shout out to, uh, our, my DP, uh, Andrew Jarek, who just did an incredible job filming this and color grading it. And I really wanted it. I didn't want just black and white. I wanted a very punchy, uh, bold black and white. And mm. so finding finding that and making that happen was harder than it seemed. Um, but he did a great job with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, so as storytellers, as filmmakers, empathy is a big part of what we do, right? Because of the ability to tell a story from from not just one perspective, but many different points of views and perspectives. It, it takes um, an ability to empathize with one another and be compassionate with one another. That seems to be a big aspect of this film. So holding on to a story for again, 15 years, maybe even more, it's, it's, it's a, it, this story has, it has to mean something to you. This this concept has to mean something to you. So, um, tell me a little bit about that. Why why this concept? Why the obsession good, behind this story? No, it's a good question. I think I think it's a tough question to answer because on some level, it's kind of like falling in love with somebody. Like you can 
you don't want to rationalize it completely. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm attracted to this person. I find them funny and, and intelligent and they make me feel good about myself. Um, but there's probably deeper stuff there that, you know, if you really wanted to dig, you could find, you could, mm-hmm. you can mine all sorts of stuff. I do know that, and I know this is something that you and I talked about briefly, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was a real struggle to get the movie made. And I questioned and doubted myself a lot in the process of making it every stage of the way, especially those 10 years where I was saving up for it and, um, and really drifting from my passion. I wasn't making movies during that time. I was doing other stuff to hopefully get to make a movie at some point. And, um, and I'm somebody who struggles a lot with depression and, um, and PTSD. And I, when your brain isn't always on your side, it can be a very frustrating experience. Um, and I'm somebody who, because of, I won't, I'll try not to turn this into a therapy session, but I'm somebody who ended up becoming a very empathetic person for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I didn't have a lot of empathy for myself. And so mm-hmm. that struggle and the process of making this movie, I think really helped me again, look at these ideas of sympathy and empathy. And, and the real driving force behind that is like, where, where do you put your energy? Like, does your energy, um, if you sympathize with somebody, that does not require you to put any extra energy into identifying or understanding what somebody else is going through because you've already been through that stuff. So it's easy, it, it's, it's simple. Empathy requires you to put energy into understanding what somebody else is going through. Um, and that tension and how it shaped my life um, and how I could do a lot of that so freely for other people, but not myself. Um, I think that was something that was really at the heart of this dynamic between these identical twins. Or, uh, or the, I kind of, I'm really obsessed with mythic filmmaking. I really want to take stories that seem accessible but then through the storytelling speak to the human condition in a very larger than life universal way mm-hmm. and i think and i think that tension in all of us between our sympathetic sides and our empathetic sides um, was something that really captivated me and that i wanted to put into this film and i think that's what kind of sustained that journey and, and helped me kind of stick with it for all these years i love that thank you for sharing that with us Hopefully not too much of a, of a downer for your audience. But uh. Oh my gosh, stop. We we get naked here. So this is what the <laughs> Naked Gal podcast is about. Um, I will ask, just because I feel like somebody listening may be struggling with the same thing or you know may have gone through that or are going through that now and don't know or have a loved one that's going through it, right? Um, having the difficulty of not being able to empathize with ourselves because I think that takes um, self-love in, in a way that maybe we haven't been taught you know, growing up by our parents because our parents weren't taught that. So let me ask you this, in what ways have you learned to empathize with yourself? How do you, how do you, is there a way that you choose to practice or remind yourself of that? Because again, our brain can be very tricky and bring us back to that um, state where we don't want to be empathetic. Yeah. uh, Especially um, I don't, I don't entirely know your background, but I'm assuming you're like me and that you were raised by South Asian parents. And, and, and I think you made a great point that they weren't raised with that kind of awareness of mental health and things like that. But, uh, honestly, it's, it's still a process for me. I wish I could say that I have really conquered it. Um, but I haven't, uh, I, I, I see a therapist. Um, I am still trying to find what works best for me. Um, and I, and I, like we were saying before we started recording, well, 
we're all in progress and I'm definitely very much in progress on that part of my life. Um, I think I just have to try to listen more. I, I have really wonderful people around me who are very loving and supportive and I tend to dismiss when they say anything loving and supportive about me. And so a lot of it is just hearing and reading and seeing what people have to say and reminding myself that, uh, that I'm somebody who's loved and somebody who loves and that should, I shouldn't dismiss that. Um, and then just trying to, you know, you, you find your, I think a lot of it's just catching yourself when you get into those negative patterns of thought and just saying like, I'm doing it again. This is a pattern that I've built up. These are the reasons why I tend to think this way historically. And just, I think for a lot, for a lot of it, that's the best you can do at a certain point is just try to catch yourself, stop yourself. And then if you can, you know, try to understand why you're doing that and give yourself an explanation, tell yourself it's okay and, and just try to be better. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's something I struggle yeah. with a lot. I, I love that you said, listen, because I feel like a lot of the times we do listen with um, filters that have been or walls that have been built because of the pain that we've maybe felt growing up or endured in life. And I think that a lot of times when we're listening, we're listening to only be triggered rather than listening with an open heart and open mind. Right. So that creates that friction, but I, I agree. I think, I think it is, um, again, going back and affirming to yourself that you are loved and just really realizing that everyone we're all human and we're all, you know, continuously in progress and evolving. So I, I love this. I think the concept behind this is, is very beautiful and it's universal. It's a universal um, connection. So um, I do want to ask what is, because this film, I mean, your first film and I'm just, I'm ready for the next one. So what do we have any other projects in the works or uh, that's a good question. I should have a better <laughs> yeah. answer to it. Um, I definitely have a lot of ideas for things that I'm excited to do next. Um, nothing that's very far along. I think the great thing about finally having this film done is like now it's giving me the breathing room to step away from this very, you know, this, this gestation process has been so long and so um, consuming. So at least now I have the opportunity to kind of take a breath and, and uh, start something new, which is yeah. terrifying. Um, but exciting. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot that I learned through making this film and uh, certainly about, um, you know, it, it, it's been, it's been an interesting process because I, I think I underestimated how much of a, a tough sell a black and white movie with a South Asian cast set in a South Asian country can be. Um, I think I, I, I think whatever I do next, I would definitely like to do something that is an easier sell for other people, at least, uh, but still true to, you know, telling the kinds of stories that I care about and making sure it's something that's universal and, and emotional and human. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm playing around with some stuff, but the thing that's most on my mind right now is an idea I had for uh, a time travel love story. Um, mm. Doing the romantic stuff in this in Sand and Snow was uh, was a lot of fun for me and something that I uh, would like to explore more so that might be something that's that uh, is a good fit for the next project um, we'll see yeah um what is one thing that you would like to one message you'd like to like for someone watching the film to take away i think uh, I, I think it really just comes back to empathy i i hope that 
after people see the film, maybe they'll take the opportunity if they can to really look at people, other people in their lives and really put the energy into trying to identify, especially people who they don't see eye to eye with. Um, where are they coming from? Why do they feel the way that they feel? And it doesn't mean you have to accept everything about that person, but I think we're in such, I, I think it's a universal uh, issue that we're always gonna have to deal with, but I think especially now, it's very easy to be sympathetic and not empathetic um, because things are just so, tied to everybody's identity and if somebody believes in things that you don't believe in it's very easy to just dismiss that person but they're all human beings they all have reasons for thinking and feeling the way that they do and a lot of people have valid points that are worth exploring and at the very least worth hearing to check your own thoughts and feelings to make sure that you know why you think and believe and value what you do um so yeah so I, so at the very least i hope maybe people are come out of the film feeling a desire to be a little more empathetic in their lives. Yeah. And I love how storytelling is a way of healing, right? Like yeah. it's it's a way of healing ourselves and healing other people maybe in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I, I imagine you could speak to this too. Like, to be honest, making, I, making the movie was a cathartic, selfish process in a lot of ways because I think artists need to use their art to explore their pain and their thoughts and and their hurt um, maybe not everybody i know I, I know there's that stereotype of like the, the depressed dour you know put upon artists um a lot of artists aren't that way um but i know at least with this film ex exploring the things that i explored and expressing the things that i expressed was very important for my healing and my um, understanding of myself and my place in the world um and then the fact that you know hopefully if you do something well it'll connect people who you've never met before who who maybe have seemingly nothing in common with you but um but it can heal them too and it can um I, I don't know how you were raised but I guess when I when I finally told my family that I wanted to be a filmmaker um they were not happy oh my and god I was certainly certainly raised to be my mom's a doctor so that was the track <laughs> that I was supposed to be on which is which is not oh, a unique no. story <laughs> But she just she just asked me like why well, I just don't understand like why do you want to do this it doesn't make <laughs> sense to me, and I told her I want to do what you do I just I just feel like I can do it best through art instead of through medicine, and you know and from and at, at that moment from that moment on she got it and she's been uh, a huge supporter of mine. I love that. But yeah, it's something that there's lots of ways for us to to do the things that we want to do and, and try to make the world a better place and, and art is one of one of the great ways to do it because it's shareable right like it's yeah. it's something that a lot of people can experience in their own time in their own space at different points in their life it can mean different yeah. things to them um and I, lo I love that about art yeah it's very relatable yeah well, I just want to say thank you again for being on the Naked Gal podcast with us and getting naked with us and sharing parts of you with us that make us feel closer to you and your story and your film. Um, where can people reach out to you if they have any questions or just want to reach out and say, hey, great film, because I know it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope I hope people continue to connect with it. It's been it's been a really fun journey so far. Uh, my my name is is a very odd spelling so that makes it easy to track me down it's uh yeah there you go it's right in the background there um so yeah my website is uh my name j-a-r-a-a-d.com 
so that's probably the easiest way to find me and to and to connect with me uh, i'm Perfect. on instagram and facebook as well but um it, my instagram handle is a weird butchering of my name for for joke's sake so i won't try to say that on here but uh, yeah there's yeah, a just, there's a bunch of bunch of a's in it yeah, too many <laughs> okay. too many a's so just okay, stick cool. with the website yeah. okay so thank deal. you so much for having me on here and uh, thank of you so course. much for talking and really really appreciate all your support for me in the film it, it means a ton to me of course thank you